Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yancey and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. Hey there. Welcome to our KZMC weekend teaching. As always, I'm really happy that you're here joining us and I trust that uh, what is shared will be a blessing to you. And keep saying, we'd love to have you join us then on Zoom to gather together for worship on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there, to all you who have motherly influence in uh, the lives of kids around you, to all of you who uh, play a role in the nurturing of of families. And so I want to honor honor you today. Thanks be to God for the women in our lives who care for us, who disciple us, who instruct us, um, who teach us, guide us, lead us. Uh, yeah, thanks be to God for each and every one of you. Two other notes before I jump in. One is uh, thanks again for all the concern in, in regard to my health since my concussion. Sorry that I had to bail out kind of last minute last weekend. Had a really bad day on the Friday, but I've been doing pretty good since. Uh, not out of the woods, but I'm actually really happy with the progress that it seems that I've been making in the past week. So I'm continuing to kind of navigate that working uh, days of four to six hours, kind of pushing up against my, my symptoms, but uh, trying not to get overwhelmed by them. And uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for your prayers and your concern. And uh, still kind of limiting screen time, but definitely engaging with screens at points as well and then the last thing this is actually our last sunday in our joy no matter what series where we have been walking through the book of philippians and so starting next sunday we're going to have a new series called this journey to freedom and it's going to be a walk kind of with the israelite people from exodus the book of exodus on through numbers many of you are familiar with the, the big story of deliverance from Egypt, a pretty dramatic story that's been featured in many different movies. But then there's this journey of them growing to discover what it means to live and to walk in freedom. And, and really, that's a journey that all of us are on. What does it mean to live in the freedom that God created us for? And so we're going to hold up the story of the Israelite people almost like as a mirror, as like a reflection of our own story, just to kind of make sense and and of, of what we're experiencing, what God is calling us into. So that's going to start this journey to uh, to freedom, the tagline is uh, something like uh, uh, you know your your journey, your path is likely as winding as as Israel's. So I invite you to to check that out starting next weekend. So this here is the last in our joy, no matter what series working through Philippians. One of my achievements in life that I'm the most proud of is <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. A, a number of years ago, I had to reinforce our swing set, so we got this big old wooden swing set and the beam across the top was cracking a little bit and I was like yeah I got to reinforce this make it a little bit safer and so I bought a, a 16 foot long 4 by 4 post and so I had to get it up on top of the swing set and and bolt it on just to fasten everything together and, and uh, you know Brittany wisely is like hey you know why don't you ask a friend borrow their tractor or whatever I was, oh, I got it I got it and uh, so I, I did get it it was a it was a little bit sketchy but getting this 4 by 4 16 foot post 
you know, 12 feet up in the air and it's pretty, pretty heavy and shimmying back and forth and, and things, things were a little bit sketchy at points, but I was so proud that I got it up there all by myself. I didn't need any help. My neighbor's like, oh, he's seen it. He's like, why did you ask me for help? I was like, no, I was fine, whatever. But, but truthfully, it would have gone a lot smoother. It would have been a lot safer to get my neighbor. Afterwards, I had another buddy and he's like, hey, like you totally could have bored my tractor, get the loader, lift it right up there. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And it's interesting, reflecting back on that, uh, that experience, our, our, our title for today is The Joy of Receiving and Giving. The Joy of Receiving and Giving. And thinking of that instance of like, <laughs> why didn't I ask for help? Why, why do I find so much pride in the fact that I could do it myself? And you know what, I probably missed out on an opportunity to grow in relationship with a friend to uh, to learn some things maybe along the way in terms of how they would have done it and and uh, but no like I you know I believe we believe in this myth of like the self-made person I'm independent I'm autonomous I can do it myself that really is infused through our culture many of us are uh, not very good at receiving gifts I, I think a number of years back at Christmas I, I don't often give out Christmas gifts to lots of people around me I don't know gift giving is not my my love language in terms of like physical gifts so I usually don't bother but the one year I was like you know what I'm gonna give a gift to a bunch of my friends I think it was like mint smoothies or something and uh, one of the people that I gave that gift to and they don't normally give me a gift either which is great like I don't expect that at all but within a couple of days of me giving them this gift they returned a gift to me and uh, it was very kind it was very thoughtful but but it made me think about like this impulse of if someone gives something to me, I have to give them something back. I have to like make sure we're on equal accounts. I've got to keep uh, keep on a, a level playing field. Um, and just like this uncomfortability with receiving something and not giving something back. And I think that was clearly demonstrated. That's the only year I've ever received a gift from that individual. And uh, but it was you know within days that I gave them that 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 gift. So super thoughtful, super kind. But I also recognize this this reality that we're not real great at receiving gifts. Uh, many many of us. There's a quote in life that says, uh, in life there are givers and there are takers. Be a giver. And in a lot of ways that's wise, but I think we've actually taken that too far and we want to give, but we have such a hard time receiving. Um, Yeah, so this series that we've been working through, a journey through the book of Philippians, has been called uh, Joy No Matter What joy no matter what. Paul gives us this glimpse, this letter he writes to Philippi while he's sitting in a jail in entirely unjoyful circumstances. And he's saying, hey, this is what the joy-filled life looks like. And so we've got some great insight. And so this is the last message in that series. And and here Paul's saying, you know what? Like there's a ton of joy. You want to live a joy-filled life? Be engaged in giving and receiving. Receiving and giving. Actually, my title, I reversed those. Usually our lingo is is giving and receiving, but I switched it the joy of receiving and giving. So it's not just seen and felt as like, well, if I, if I, um, you know, I, I love to give and sure I might receive, but actually receiving is a key part of this joy filled life as well. And so I just tacked that on the front end just so it, it stands in a bit more, in a bit more prominent. So I'm going to read the text for us here. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter two, sorry, Philippians chapter four, starting at verse 10, Philippians Chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Go ahead, pause the video, grab your Bible. Please read along. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received your gift from Epaphroditus, which you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here, Paul actually does a great job of receiving well. He gets this gift from the Philippians, and we don't know what that gift is. You know, we can assume it was monetary, but uh, you know what? Maybe he was in prison and, and the food maybe wasn't sustaining him, wasn't nourishing him. So maybe they sent a whole bunch of food. Maybe his clothes were, were wearing thin and they sent him some clothes for the, the, colder, the colder months. Um, it, c- it could be a variety of things. Maybe it was more parchment, more ink to write letters. Uh, but quite possibly it was monetary, but we're not exactly sure. But he receives this gift and Paul's pumped. He says, verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Is Paul being greedy here that he's so excited to receive his gift? Is he like all of us when we were kids on Christmas, you know, you'd rush down the stairs to the Christmas tree and like there was just one train of thought, what am I getting? What's in my presence? You're not thinking about anything else except what you're going to get from your mom and dad. Is that what Paul's being like here? Is he just greedy? He's like, oh, sweet. I got something, got something new. But Paul very quickly uh, demonstrates that that's not the case. He goes on, verse 11, to demonstrate that he doesn't need anything. Verse 11, he's saying, I'm not saying that I'm glad you renewed your concern for me because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And Paul's circumstances sucked. He was in a tough spot at this time. He says, I'm content. I didn't need your gift. And this is actually really countercultural. In that age, in the, uh, in the Roman Empire, they were influenced significantly by Stoic philosophy. And the Stoics, they really valued autonomy. And they had this saying that said that the wise man needs no one but himself and is completely independent. The wise man needs no one but himself and is completely independent. So if you wanted to show what a great person you are, if you want to be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm wise, you'd be like, no, I'm good. I really don't need that gift. I can look after myself, even being in prison. Like I'm fine. I got it all together. That's what wisdom looks like. That was the dominant worldview that Paul and the Philippian church lived in. To be wise, like, nope, I'm good. Maybe it would be to send it back or to give it to someone else. But that's not what's going on here either. And Paul demonstrates that further in verses 12 to 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He says, does he he say I don't need it because I'm strong? No. 
He says, I don't need it because God's got me. I can persevere whether I get this gift from you or not. God is going to give me the strength. Jesus will give me the strength to go through this, whether living in plenty or in want. And he was in a situation where he was in want. But he's glad anyway. Verse 14, he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. He's saying, I don't need it, but hey, thanks. Like, that was, that was great of you. Really, uh, really appreciate that. Again, we ask why. Why does Paul say that it was good of them to share with him in his troubles when he says he didn't need it? And verse 15 points to this idea, the beauty of a relationship of giving and receiving. Verse 15, he mentions how the Philippians, these are his words, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Suggesting this is this is beautiful. This is the way that life is supposed to work. And that's actually the, the central theme or the key statement in this section of text. The matter of giving and receiving. Sharing together in that. Like that's that's if we want to live joyfully when we're rooted in Jesus, walking with Jesus, we want to experience joy, we're going to share in the matter of giving and receiving. And so Paul's actually excited about the work that God is doing and the blessings that the Philippian church is receiving. It's good to give. There's a lot of joy in giving. I've actually been observing that lately. I'm, I'm going to toot my daughter Grace's, Grace's horn a little bit here. Um, the last number of weeks, she's been baking a lot. She loves baking. So she's just baking, baking, baking. So she developed this and, and <laughs> I, I have no shortage of food in, in my life. I've been putting on the pounds, being stuck at home more and eating Grace's baking. It's been bad news, but thoroughly delightful at the same time. So what Grace did is she developed this menu and she listed out, she's got cookies, she's got score bars, she's got some like chocolate chip squares, she's got rhubarb pie, there's a couple other items on this. She made this sort of menu and she handed out the flyer to all the neighbors with her phone number and said, hey, you know, let me know if you want me to bake for you. Proceeds, all proceeds, every money, all the money you give to me will go to blessings. And so there's been a, a tremendous response, a lot of baking <laughs> she's been doing. That's like over $150 worth of baking now that she has sold to our neighbors and, and doing a great job. But, but it's been fascinating just to see that joy in her. And I think it's a joy often that kids don't even realize of like, she's loving this. She's excited about it. She's inspired by it, which is so different. That joy of giving, that sustained joy, that deep inside you kind of joy, that is so different than if, if we were to um, give her I don't know, to just give her like, say a new bike or something. She'd be like, yeah, this is great. But there's a different kind of joy when you're giving. And, and also I think a joy in terms of she's not doing this to make money for herself. And so it's been a real gift. I'm sure that many of you can think of examples in your own life, those you see around you of, of where there's that joy that wells up when you're engaged in giving. And so, uh, you know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't receive. I think we've, rece we've understood the verse in that way of like, well, Jesus said it's more blessed than to receive. I'm just going to give and I'm not going to receive. Well, no, that's not what's happening here. It's good to receive, but it's even better to give. Verse 17, Paul says, Not that I desire your gifts, he says to the Philippian church. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's excited that this is working out well for the Philippian church. What's being credited to their account? It doesn't say exactly, but we can assume some sort of blessing. Jesus said, more, more blessed to give than to receive. They're receiving blessings. Scriptures talk about rewards in heaven. So blessings, rewards in this life, in the next, whatever the case, God is giving to them in return because they've been giving to Paul. And Paul's excited about that. He's like, this is like great news for you because by giving to me, things are shaping up better for you. So Paul's like, 
I didn't need the gift, but thanks anyway. But then in verse 18, he actually concedes that it has been helpful. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Epaphroditus was just like the messenger. They gave it to him. He took it to Paul, hung out with Paul for a while, helped Paul. Um, so yeah, he, he's saying, I'm, I'm amply supplied now that I've received the gift. I wasn't amply supplied now, but then, but now I, I am. So, so he's saying, you know what? It's, it's been helpful. We see in Paul what it looks like to receive wealth. Don't rob others of the blessing of giving to you. I could cite lots of different examples. One of them is with the church, we have what's called a benevolent fund. It's separate from our church budget. It's, um, we put money into this fund to help others. And it goes to a variety of, of places. If there's someone around us in financial need, we'll help pay maybe groceries. Or we never give cash to anybody. And there's accountability that has to be run past a, a pastor and a couple deacons. Never give cash, but we'll pay for groceries. We'll help pay rent. We'll, we'll help. You know what? If, if someone's uh, been heading to the hospital often, maybe there's surgeries, there's medical procedures. At times it's been offered like, hey, can we cover some of that gas for you? And another big one that's been growing in recent years has been using it to cover counseling costs for people. And so sometimes as, as I work with people and Pastor Dennis works with people, we'll be like, hey, you know, like, we, you know, in conversation, like, yeah, like some counseling sessions, some therapy, just to kind of work through stuff. And the, the folks make, you know, we recommend that. And the folks make this like exciting, honorable step. I have so much um, respect for people who choose to take the route of counseling. It's a, it's a courageous and brave step. We make it a way bigger deal. It should be more normal than it is. So they do that. Like, hey, we have this benevolent fund. Can we help you with this? And most people are like, no, 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 I'm fine. We have this perception. Well, it's only for people who are in dire straits. It's only for people who really need it. It's like, no, no, no. Like we as a church, we want to carry your burdens with you. This is hard. It's emotionally exhausting. It's whatever. It is a financial strain. Counseling is expensive because we need to reimburse the people who do this work well. And so I see that often. That's one way of receiving well, being like, you know what? Yeah, thanks. You want to carry my burden with us? You offered like, thanks. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. And so that's just one example. What does it look like to receive well? Instead of being like, no, thanks. I'm fine. Next time someone offers, just be like, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And leave it at that. How can you learn to receive well? It will bless you. And, and really you're helping out the other person who wants to give to you. We also need to give well. Now, if, if you notice in that text, there were other churches that didn't help Paul. The church in Philippi was the only one. Verse 15, he says, In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, first, out from, first I went out from Macedonia, and when that happened, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. So Paul had this need. Um, he could have used some assistance. And nobody, there's all these churches Paul poured into. He shared the gospel with them. He helps them get up and running. And then Paul's moving on and needs help. And everyone's just like head to the ground, just kind of doing their own thing, not even thinking about Paul. But the Philippians, they were the ones who were like, hey, we should help Paul out. Many of you are incredible givers. Some of us aren't great at giving. Some of us are selfish. And we all have varying degrees of selfishness. All of us can grow in generosity. Do you need to step up your game in giving? In helping other people around you? In looking? I mean, like, how can I bless someone in this situation, that situation? You want to have a joy-filled life? It's not in storing more up for yourself. It's in giving generously. And I know that so many of you give in ways that nobody ever sees. And that's awesome. Love it. So many ways of giving. It can be financially. It can be through baking. It can be through a ride. It can be serving on another committee. 
all kinds of examples. It can be making the time to chat on the porch with your lonely neighbor. This relationship of giving and receiving really is the heart of God. You know, we think of God almost entirely of like he gives and he gives and he gives. But we actually see it in the gospel, this giving and receiving. You know, Jesus, obviously he gave when he went to the cross. He gave up himself. He died to self. He suffered on our behalf. But then he also received. After that, he was resurrected. After that, he ascended to heaven and the Father placed him at his right hand. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor, a place of glory. Jesus gave and he received. And, and really, that's the, that's the nature of life. That's the nature of relationships. We see that in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You read through the scriptures. See how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. They're constantly giving and receiving. When I was in seminary, in a theology class, I wrote a paper about the, the topic of perichoresis. Super nerdy. Really, that's just a nerdy theological word for interdependency, an interdependent relationship. Basically, this relationship of giving and receiving. Why I say perichoresis, that Greek word when you could just say giving and receiving, this life of mutuality. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I wrote this whole big paper about how you see that with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how that's a model for how we ought to live life. Look at them for inspiration. That's how God operates and finds joy in that, that they're just giving and receiving. They're interacting in this kind of like, this flux. The Holy Spirit isn't saying to the Father, no, 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 I don't need that. Jesus isn't saying to the Holy Spirit, no, no, I'm fine. I can figure this out on my own. No, they're interacting. They're, they're sharing. They're advising. They are working together. Interdependent relationships. So it's a model how we ought to live. The interesting thing is God says that it smells good. Seriously, God says that it smells good. What, what do I think of when I think of something that smells good? I think of rhubarb pie. That's been something uh, this past week. Oh man, that smells good. I think of fresh cut hay. I think of a lilac tree. Like those are the things that smell good to me. And, and God says that the gifts of his people, his people giving and receiving gifts is what smells good to him. Verse 18, it says they are, talking about these gifts, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. In Old Testament worship, they used incense a lot in the place of worship. And it would rise and it symbolized these gifts. It symbolized this worship rising to God. It symbolized the prayers rising to God. And it smelled good. It was an aroma. And so God is saying here, your gifts, this is, this is worship. When you give to someone else, when you help someone out, it's, it's worship. And it makes God smile and it smells super good to God. So, so you know what? I'm going to name a few names here. When, when Emma drops off, when Emma Manson drops off a casual at someone's house or or, uh, yeah, many, many of you drops off a cash at someone's house. That smells really good to God. A number of years ago, shortly after we came to Zurich and, uh, Brittany's dad passed away. I remember that Kelly H got this like really beautiful little angel figurine and she gave it to our daughter, Grace being it's just a way of saying like, I'm thinking about you. I care about you in this time when your grandpa passed away. Hold on to this. Remember your grandpa in this way, that gift, like that smelled super good to God. When ogres, ogre helps someone move, that's, that's a theme I've noticed. A lot of people ask ogre to move because he's such a big, robust guy. That smells really good to God. When some of you uh, cut a significant check or send an e-transfer to support a mission agency to help out room to grow or whatever, God's like, oh, it smells so good. It makes God smile. When Diane Lochner offers to lead another small group and is like, yeah, I'll give my time. I'll do this every Saturday morning to help people walk through soul care and receive financial freedom. Like that smells good to God. I'm only naming a few. I could name this stuff for like every single one of you. Uh, those of you who I'm aware that are watching this, this video. 
So this, we are called to grow into this life of giving and receiving. And actually, I want you to practice. The next time someone gives something to you, don't be like, nah, I'm fine. Or like, no, like, it's almost like we got to like say all the right things to like convince them that, that we didn't actually need it, that we're not too readily receiving. Like, nah, you should never like, oh, like someone gave me something a while back. I was like, man, like you really didn't need to do that. I said to them, like, why do we do that? Next time, just say, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Maybe we got to practice that all together. Join with me now. <laughs> say, thank you. I really appreciate that just as a way of like learning how to receive well and blessing other people that way. And then, and then giving. Many of you give in many ways. I think a lot of us can grow in terms of our giving. How do we live selfless lives? And, and actually, financially is, is the way that I think a lot of us could grow uh, more. That's this idea of self-sufficiency, this idea of, of spending our money on our pleasure, um, building up our little kingdoms at home. Uh, that's a huge idol and we're also caught by it. What does it look like to develop this posture? You will find more joy in giving generously to the work of God in the world, blessing other people than a lot of things that you could purchase or experience yourself. Yeah, how do we grow into giving and receiving? There's a fascinating example. So as, as many of you know, our church is involved with Mennonite Central Committee. It's a relief and development organization that works internationally. And do you know how they started? Some of you will be familiar with the story, many won't. In, uh, in the 1920s, Mennonites in the Ukraine were just having a horrible time. They lived in colonies and they'd previously been incredibly prosperous, really prosperous, really successful, and quite a model of, of just like wonderful communities. And then they got caught up in uh, revolution and counter-revolution, the White Army, the Red Army, Russia, Ukraine, that whole area, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, if I understand correctly. Um, and it was just a horrible time and, and people were killed, men were murdered, their horses were stolen. Um, their, their farms were decimated. They were forced to pay incredibly high taxes. Their grain was taken. And, and at the same time, there was famine. And, and, and so they went from prosperity to, to destitute. And so they actually sent a delegation over to the church in North America. And they're just like, hey, like, like, we're dying here. We're struggling. Like, it was bad news. And the, the North American church rose up. And over the course of several years in the early 1920s, uh, the church, this is 1920, raised $1.2 million is what they spent to help their Mennonite sisters and brothers. And it doesn't matter, Mennonite or not. And, and actually that was a stipulation that when they were allowed to send this relief was also to help the people in the neighboring communities as well. We should help anybody, regardless if, if there's a religious uh, affiliation or not, but maybe even especially for our sisters and brothers. So 1.2 million. And they, they sent over food and established food kitchens to the point that they were serving 25,000 25, meals a day to help these people. And that was in communities of about 100,000 people before these revolutions. And they sent over 50 Fords and tractors because their horses had been slaughtered. Their horses had been stolen. Their cows had been stolen. So they sent over, the Mennonites in North America sent over 50 Fords and tractors as well as horses and cows on credit. And they, they played a significant role in helping these, these Mennonites in Russia and Ukraine get through these challenging times. If you haven't, you got to learn the story of Annie Zielman. You'll learn more uh, about this as well. Um, and, and then even following that, in the years after, many of these Russian Mennonites emigrated, immig- immigrated to Canada and to the U.S. And when this happened, there are stories, and, and some of you older folks will know this, there are stories of, I don't know if it was around here, someone should tell me if it was, but certainly like Waterloo Region and other areas of Canada, of like these Russian Mennonites would come and existing Mennonite families were like, all right, come live with us. I think I understand that like my great-grandparents this happened, like a Russian Mennonite family like lived 
with them in their home. Could you imagine like someone's emigrating to Canada, like, you know, Syrian folks are coming to Canada and we like put them up in motels and we help them find housing, whatever. Like how many people are just like, yeah, come live with us for six months, for a year. So like whole big families moved in with whole big families in their homes to help them get on their feet. This incredible relationship of giving and receiving, the joy in that. And that has um, done an incredible, there's been incredible fruit, incredible blessings over the decades, over the generations since, because people said, we are going to give. Because people said, we're going to receive your gifts. We're not going to try and tough it out. We're not going to we're not going to stay over here and to the point of dying on our own because we want to refuse help. We're going to receive this. And, and the folks saying, we're going to give this. And it's beautiful. So anyway, that's a big story. What does it look like for you today to engage in this life of giving and receiving? Because there's a ton of joy in it. A ton of joy. So we hear Paul's words when he says to the, to the Philippians, he talks about this idea of sharing in the matter of giving and receiving. What does that look like for you today? Thanks for joining me. Would love to have you join us on Zoom Sunday morning. We're going to pray together for a bit, sing together, share together. We're going to hear from Jill Raymer as well, just get an update from her. So she'll be on the Zoom call. Breakout rooms where we'll just have a chance to chat and connect in smaller, smaller bunches. Uh, if you don't have that information, email the church, message us on social media. We'll get the link to you. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. Have a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day. Talk to you later.